Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. This podcast celebrates storytelling as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, showcasing the talents of my author and narrator friends. I hope you'll hear an artist you love or find your next favorite wordsmith. It is certainly a Pandora's box that has been opened. And I hear from so many people who say, when all of these tests come into play, you find out a lot of secrets that have been kept in families for generations. This is author Julia Brewer Daly. And we're talking about how secrets reverberate through her characters' stories. Her debut novel, No Names to be Given, begins in a maternity hospital in New Orleans in the late 1960s, where three young women relinquish their babies for adoption on the same day. It's a fiction based on truth. The hospital really existed, and Julia herself was born there. We begin by talking about how, in her fiction, she uses DNA tests to reveal long-hidden truths. One of the things that was in your book that I, I didn't realize was that it gave people a name. It's, is that possible through the DNA tests that we take? Are you Can you be given names of family members like that? Yes, it will say whether it's a first cousin or second cousin or a very close family match and will list a name. And mom was very accurate. And then if you're in the system with um, a close family member, they can message you through the system. It's not like direct email, but it can have a subject line and, and want to get in touch with you to compare your family trees. And I received one that said, with the subject line, are you my sister? And that will get your attention. (laughs) Sure enough, she was one of my birth father's daughters and got in touch with me. I'm sure it's mixed. I'm sure that's not an always easy. You know, you have to be open to wanting to know those things. But like you said earlier, I think it, maybe it's like a Pandora's box. You open up a lot of different emotions all at once. I think that's one of the things you do a really good job of in this story is through these different characters. There's three main women that we are following and they're all really different. You did a good job of making us understand that they could come from all different backgrounds. One of your characters, she has this line that I love. She said, she's talking about the word goodbye. Why does it start with the word good? Did anything good ever come from leaving someone? She's a very tender and and sweet character. And so where where did some of that sentiment come from for you? Because I put myself in all of these situations. You know, I can see adoption from every angle. And I talked to so many who you know, had such a longing and such a sweetness about them. And, Mm. you know, this dreadful thing happened to them. And some of them, it it truly wrecked their lives. They, They couldn't trust, they couldn't love again. 
Um, can you imagine holding a child after you have given up one and look at that child's face and think, you know, does he look like my first, you know, and worrying about these children. My birth mother told me that she prayed in every cathedral in Europe um, where she lived at the time that I would be okay, that someone was loving me and taking care of me. I like that word that you just used longing. Because I think that you definitely articulating that as you as you tell the stories of these women after they've given their babies up and what happens in their lives afterwards. And I think it's that's kind of an ironic thing because society at the time thinks they're doing these girls a great favor. They're saving them from this horrible reputation and the burden, right? And yet what they carry through instead feels so much heavier. No, and I hope as parents now that we don't scar our own children with expectations and what society thinks or, you know, what we think they should be when we're trying to think of their best, trying to help them. I hope it doesn't leave them with the scars that these women would have carried back then um, now. Right. I think one of the things that's really big picture to me about it is how this idea of a secret of a truth that's been suppressed manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. And so it's not just the act of this endless longing for a child. They'll never know that they will always question, where is she? Is she safe? But also this sort of, this weight of not being authentic, this weight of people not really knowing you. You know, they were told when they left this maternity home that they were not mothers and that their babies were gone for good. And it was just unheard of to, to speak of that. And it was put away. Yes. And then that just infects every aspect of life. You can see through these women that it's then hard for them to find intimacy and it's hard for them to find connection and um, in their next relationships because of harboring that, the weight of that. One of the things one of the characters does is keeps a journal. I wondered if you also kept a journal, if that's something of you in the story, or if that was just a way for you to get across more of Faith's story. I did keep a diary when I was young, and I, I wrote my first story when I was about in the fifth grade. My friends said I had a very vivid imagination. I think they meant that I lied a lot, but... <laughs> Um, but I wrote this tale about this wagon train on the Chisholm trail and they had 12 kids. And I think I just wanted to name all 12 children, you know, at the time, but, but yes, I, I kept a diary and, and always enjoyed writing. Yeah. So do you think you've always been a storyteller? Do you think that's just part of your personality? Definitely. Yeah. And I think I made up my own stories about where I came from, like those chapters of Julie in the um, book. It's a thinly disguised. Um, my thread of memoir runs through that story in her chapters. And a lot of those exact situations did occur. You know, when the teenagers are riding in the car and the mother turns off the radio because love child is playing by the Supremes. Yeah. That exact episode happened with my own mother. And um, my great grandmother 
asking how many offspring she had and don't count the adopted ones. You know, all of that really truly happened in my life. I think it's really brave to put yourself on the page, actually. I think it's a, I always admire authors who are able to weave bits of themselves into their characters and their storylines. I think it's, um, it's just a really open quality. And I think it makes for, I think it makes for really good stories. Um, There's a line in the story about tiny turns in the road, tiny turns in the road that, that make our life what it is. Um, And she's sort of being reflective about choices she's made and where she is today. Is that a philosophy of yours? It definitely is. And I think about that a lot. I always say to my children and my grandchildren, you know, if it were just one day different, I mean, if you had just done this one little, if you had just gone this direction, you know, it would make such a huge difference. And we don't think about those things when we're there. You know, we're all in the moment. Yeah. And you do look back with reflection and you think, wow, if I had just done this it would have made a huge difference in my life for good or for bad right as a family we we talked to my husband's um, parents once with our children we asked you know how did you meet and they had met on a train and the randomness of that just it just well it captures your imagination right it makes you think about all the things you're doing in your life that are just like I decided to be here at this time at this place and that connected me to this person and and now I'm here you know it's just a yes there is a really I think always looking in reverse I think that's the thing right we don't realize that when we're right in the moment how every little choice we're making is leading us down a path it's just a really nice sentiment when she expressed it because I think there's there's a tendency to focus on regrets sometimes when you have trauma like each one of these women has been through a trauma But she's not looking back regretfully. She's just saying she wouldn't be who she was today if all of those things hadn't happened to her. Yes. Okay, let's pause right there in our chat with Julia to listen to a few minutes of the audiobook. This is from the prologue. It's the day the three young women at the heart of the story, Sandy, Becca, and Faith, all deliver their babies. You're going to hear narrator Reagan Boggs, who is also a singer-songwriter in the Nashville area, bring her lyricism to this story. This is from No Names to Be Given, written by Julia Brewer-Daly, narrated by Reagan Boggs. Sandy watched Faith with her hands clasped as if in prayer. Faith... Are you okay? She always spoke to Faith as if she were a child. They were all about the same age, 18. But Faith's innocence made her seem so much younger. I'm miserable, Faith said. Me too. I feel like a medieval torture device stretched my limbs, Sandy said. Faith chanted prayers for her baby. Please, Lord. Please let my baby have the very best parents. I know you'll take care of him or her. She hummed the lyrics of Jesus Loves the Little Children. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. 
How are we expected to walk away and pretend nothing happened? They knocked us out before we had our babies and won't let us see them? We don't even know if we had a boy or a girl, Becca blurted out. Sandy did not turn to Becca. Instead, she watched Faith twist her hands. Faith's frame disappeared from view under the sheet. Sandy was afraid her tiny limbs, awkward and knobby, would vanish altogether without the bed to contain her. Every time Sandy looked at Faith, she remembered Faith's description of her assault. Now a living reminder of it existed. Faith had said she didn't want this baby carrying the blame for its conception. Suddenly, Faith began gulping breaths like drinking water with a cupped hand from a bucket. Sandy tried not to look at her reflection in the mirror. Her hair, not dyed since entering the home, showed roots black and wide, like the stripe of paint against a hot asphalt roadway, only in reverse. Her platinum locks clung to the dark center. Towering above Faith, she saw how hollow her skin was and how lackluster. She needed her eyebrows plucked and her nails painted. No time to worry about all that. Sandy required all her strength for her own recovery and assisting her friends. She tucked Faith and Becca's blankets around them, raised their hospital bed rails, and crawled back into her bed. Tomorrow, they had plans to make. I hope that this book calls attention to the hundreds of thousands of children who are waiting in foster care to be adopted. I hope it, it does open up the door to, to give them the families that they so desire. Um, my oldest daughter adopted four older children, ranging from 16 to 8. Wow. And has just built a beautiful family together. How did that make you feel when your daughter made that choice? I was very proud of her. She um, has a very loving heart. She's a school teacher and she lost a, a child and just felt that their family wasn't complete. Mm. And she found these children and they were just meant to be ours. Well, you talk about being a chosen child. That's one of the phrases that I love in this story. Um, it's just miraculous and wonderful that that has been part of your life experience generationally. Mm -hmm. You know, my father told me he walked into this room full of babies and I held up my arms to him and said, here I am, daddy. And he said, you know, and I knew you were ours. And I said, I was two months old. I didn't hold up my arms and say, hi, daddy, or anything like that. But he always made me feel that I was chosen, that I was special. And I dedicated the book to my three children who made me a mother, as well as to my birth mother who gave me life and my adoptive mother who gave me a life. So the last question I always ask has to do with the title of the podcast. I am drawn to books, I think, that speak to me about what's essential. And this really, you have gotten to the heart of many different essential things for motherhood, 
for family. So for you, what do you think is most essential? And it can be more than one thing. It can be related to your writing or just your life. Well, first of all, I think we should have a higher power in our lives than ourselves. You know, that's the real true origin story. And I can remember watching E.T. There's a line in that movie, and I'm going to have to go back and and hear it again. But when I was in the movie theater and I heard E.T. talking about, you know, wanting to go home, he wanted to know his maker. And that was so powerful to me as an adopted child that I just burst into tears in this, you know, childish movie. And it really affected me. And I thought, you know, that is so important for us to know our origin story and, and then work. You know, I think it's such a privilege to be able to work and, and to have a purpose and to have something that sparks our imagination and creativity. So I would think, you know, our maker, our family and friends, and then to have work. I completely relate to what you're saying about continuing to find work that fulfills you, that helps you feel productive. I dedicated so much to rearing my children. It was the greatest job I ever had, but then it does leave you feeling a little adrift. What now? (laughs) What now? Mm -hmm. At my age, I call it life's sweetest third. Because I do think there's still a lot of sweetness left in this life. And there's a lot for us to to continue to do. Yes. I love that. This has been a great conversation, Julia. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Kathy L. Murphy for introducing me to Julia when she chose No Names to Be Given as one of her international book clubs, Book of the Month. Also, a special thank you to Julia's publisher, Laura Bernhardt, at Admission Press. Julia's sophomore book, called The Fifth Daughter of Thorn Ranch, will be out this August. I'll put a link to Julia's website in the show notes. That's where you'll find the trailer for her podcast, Authors Over 50. If you'd like to hear the rest of No Names to Be Given's audiobook, narrated by Reagan Boggs, the affiliate link to Libro FM is in the show notes and on our website. When you purchase your audiobooks through the Desideratum Podcast Libro FM partner link, you support the podcast. And you can pick a local bookstore to support as well. This has been episode 51. As always, thanks for listening.